Hello, 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 hello. What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? I am your host, Armand Lee. Feeling good, feeling great. Hopefully, you are all doing the same as well. And I am welcoming you all to the Quarterly Report Podcast, episode 81. Like I said, man, I'm feeling amazing right now. It's the best time of the year for me. I love Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is next week. I can't believe it. The NBA season is going on. There have been so many huge storylines to discuss. College football is gearing up for bowl season. We're in the second half of the NFL season, man, and we're touching all things sports and entertainment on this week's episode. Starting with the Los Angeles Lakers, I'm welcoming in Perry Aston from the NBA Unwrapped podcast. We're going to break down all things purple and gold, including LeBron James and is Luke Walton on the hot seat. You're not going to want to miss that interview. Plus, the boxing landscape is changing before our eyes, and we saw a little glimpse of that this past weekend. I'm going to break down why Eddie Hearns may be the most hated man in the sport, but maybe the, also the most brilliant mind as well. All that and so much more. But first, our number one story this week. First quarter. Yeah, man. You know we had to do it. This one is a long time coming, but it needed to be done. For those of you who are unfamiliar, when you hear this song, the legendary Wankster from 50 Cent on the podcast, that means... We are doing a segment that I like to call Sports Wingster. And we got the name of this title for the segment because of the legendary song in the legendary line that Curtis Jackson says during this. And it's, damn, homie, in high school, you was the man, homie. What the fuck happened to you? Right? Now, for this week's Sports Wingster, I actually felt like I put him in the Hall of Fame before. But we got to do it again because... It keeps, it keeps happening over and over again. And we are seeing in real time the falling off of a future Hall of Famer. Again, if this is the first time you have experienced the segment known as Sports Wankster, let's give you some members of the Hall of Fame. Freddie Adu, he is the first ballot Hall of Famer from the Sports Wankster School of Hard Knocks. People who fell off. People who at one time were looked upon as being the greatest thing walking, right? The next big thing, the greatest thing since sliced bread. Freddie Adu, he was on when I was, like, when he was in high school. Maybe even before he was in high school. Never materialized. Lenny Cook, he was supposed to be the next LeBron James. He didn't even get in the league. Anthony Bennett, he's also a sports wingster. You know, Rick Ankeel, he was a sports wingster, bounced back. And then made himself into a really good baseball player. The list goes on and on and on. We can go all day about people who were on, people who were big time, you know, but then fell on hard times. And that's exactly what we like to highlight with this segment. And this week, as a former New York Knicks fan, and again, I know I put him in here earlier last year. But damn it, Carmelo Anthony, bring your ass back down. I feel like Bob Parker. Or whatever the price is right, right? Come on down, Slim. We not finished with you yet. I mean, damn. If if he didn't ruin my franchise as a Knicks fan, I probably would have more sympathy for him. But 
We are going to be uh, level-headed, right? We are going to be civil because, you know, this is a fun segment. But we're not out here trying to, you know, make people feel bad or whatever the case may be. But we do need to highlight what is going on. Carmelo Anthony came into the league highly, you know, regarded. Won a national championship in Syracuse. Man, I'm talking about Melo. This is how wild it is. I remember 2003 like it was yesterday. That's how I know I'm getting old, right? That's over a decade. That's like 15 years ago. And I'm thinking like it was just a few years back. But that's how time moves. And I got to be honest with you all. I remember thinking Carmelo Anthony was going to be a better player than LeBron James. Now, I'm admitting this. You know, some of y'all out there, y'all not going to admit it, but I know I wasn't the only one. It sounds so absurd now, considering that Carmelo Anthony is literally on his last legs while LeBron James is supposedly having a down year, averaging like 26.7 rebounds and seven assists. <laughs> like that's that's a bad or that's a less than average year for LeBron. Melo is just hanging on. But Melo was an all-star three years ago in New York and everybody got caught up. This is a huge reason why I'm fully, fully, I fully subscribe to analytics, right? Because if you were to just look at the Knicks and not watch their games, and if you are not a Knicks fan, I don't know why you would ever watch a Knicks game. I'm a Knicks fan and I hate watching them play. They're literally that bad, but I digress because I'm not going to turn this into a therapy session on why I hate the Knicks, but can't leave them this is about Carmelo Anthony but when he was an all-star just three years ago he had really good numbers and people will be like oh man y'all ruining Carmelo and I was like no we can't play with him being our best player but because his perceived value is so high right he has so much goodwill built within the fraternity of the NBA and that's with players obviously but the fan bases uh, coaches All of that goes with being a star. And Carmelo Anthony still is a star in this league. It was hard not to sit him down and be like, no, we're moving away. You know, I remember when we drafted Porzingis and he had Carmelo had the audacity, audacity to be, you know, I had to see if he if he could handle playing with me. He had to earn my trust. And I'm thinking to myself. Bro, you're not good for anyone to earn anything from you. Like, but that's a failure from Phil Jackson and Kurt Raymond and Jeff Horner. Everybody who was a coach during that period of time failed the organization. But Carmelo Anthony still had the reputation of being an amazing player. Hell, he was an all-star. Carmelo Anthony was an all-star. And we traded him to Oklahoma City. And somehow we won that trade. And his cancer was the best player. He was the best player that we got back, but yet we won that hands down. Carmelo Anthony goes to an amazing situation because Carmelo Anthony, who has long been, you know, he had to be propped up as a quote-unquote franchise player. He was the guy who had to carry the offensive load. He's going to Oklahoma City, a team who had been to the playoffs without him, a team who had just traded for Paul George, and a team who Melo really would just have to be a third option, if that. But Carmelo Anthony 
He still was in his feeling. He still was feeling himself. He hadn't been humbled yet. He laughed. Imagine this. A year ago, Carmelo Anthony laughed at the notion of coming off the bench. <laughs> like, that's how fast life would kick you in the ass if you let it. Like, there's, there's some real kind of life lessons to be learned throughout everything, especially in sports, if, you are, if you're open to it. Carmelo Anthony should have had himself humbled by being traded for Ennis Cantor and Doug McDermott, but he still was feeling himself. And he laughed at the notion of coming off the bench in Oklahoma City where he theoretically could thrive. All the things that Carmelo Anthony wants to do, he should have been able to do it as a member of the second unit, but he just rejected it. Like, laughed at the idea. He was an abject failure in Oklahoma City, and they couldn't wait to get rid of him. In fact, they took on a bad contract in Dennis Schroeder just to get rid of Melo. They were thinking about just cut amnestying him, cutting him with one year left in his contract. He gets traded to Atlanta. Atlanta buys him out. And then Carmelo Anthony signs on to the Houston Rockets, a team that was one hamstring away from appearing in the NBA Finals possibly winning the championship. Another fantastic situation for Melo, right? And we're, what, 11, 12, depending on what day you're listening, anywhere between 12 to 15 games into the season, and all hell breaks loose. And now, this past weekend, there are reports that the Rockets are trying desperately to, to let Melo know, bro, you are not in our future plan, so let's figure something out for you. Shout out to the Rockets because, well, shout out to the Rockets front office and organization for trying not to embarrass Melo. It just came out this way. And it's crazy because there is a part of me who I have sympathy for Melo a little bit. And I'll tell you why. The Rockets are playing poorly with or without Carmelo Anthony. Signing Carmelo Anthony made no sense. And again, I am someone who has seen Melo for what the almost a decade now i mean he was the focal point of my favorite team and it was not fun watching carmelo play and hold the ball and just slow everything down he was so stubborn in his ways but again we're not going to relitigate the past we're talking about current day so i never thought oklahoma city getting carmelo and i just knew it wasn't a smart fit especially if he wasn't comfortable coming off the bench he wasted a year trying to fit a, a round peg into a square, you know, hole. Now he goes to Houston. You already know him and Mike D'Antoni have passed, have a past, have a, a less than positive history. Carmelo Anthony just it doesn't it didn't make sense for him knowing that James Harden and Chris Paul are playing there. He can't fit. You can't make Carmelo Anthony try to be JJ Reddick because that's not his game. It's just not. He's not going to be this. He's not Trevor Ariza. And it just didn't work. Now, the Rockets' struggles are not because of Carmelo. If Carmelo was in Houston or not, they still would have came off struggling to start this season. It's going to be unfair because I feel like Houston is, they're just destined. A lot of the stuff that happens at the beginning of the season, everybody jumps to uh, conclusions because we're so already caught up in football mode, right? So when the NBA season starts, we're still in every game matters, right? Everything matters. The first game means so much and 
the first week, if you start off slow, what's going on? The world is coming to an end. If you start off fast, oh my gosh, you're going to be the next, you know, 96-7 Chicago Bulls, right? Because we're so caught up in football mode. But in reality, over an 82-game season, not the regression always comes down to the mean. Like you always, if you start off super hot, there's a regression that's coming. If you start off really, really slow, don't worry. Numbers always come back. Numbers regress to the mean, right? We will always get to where you're supposed to be. If you start off really hot, there's a slump coming. If you start off really slow, you're going to catch fire. It just always happens. So the Rockets are going to catch fire soon because they're not going to miss shots like this, right? James Harden is not going to play this poorly. You hope Chris Paul doesn't. His skill set just doesn't fall off a cliff, but that is a concern. But all their players aren't going to miss these shots. At some point, they're going to get it together, and I feel like it's going to happen relatively soon. And it just, from a mellow side, it's unfortunate that it's probably going to coincide with him leaving the team. So, of course, it's going to look like, you know, Carmelo Anthony was the, the main uh, culprit for the dysfunction and the the poor play of Houston. And that's not the case. There are a lot of there are a lot of reasons why Houston is playing poorly to start. However, Carmelo Anthony is the newest guy. He's not playing well himself. And if it's not working, don't force it. They were good without you. They don't need you, Melo. And we're now at a point where people laughed at me. I, I was telling people last year, I didn't know if Carmelo Anthony was going to get another contract after this one runs out, meaning the contract that he's still on, right? He got bought out, but the contract still exists after or throughout this season. This season is the last year of his uh, previous contract. And I was telling people when he got traded to Oklahoma City, I don't know if Melo is going to get another contract. And people laughed at me because, again, he was coming off an all-star season. And here we are. Life will whip your ass really quickly if you let it. And right now, Melo is getting ready to tap out, baby, because I can't believe it. It happened so fast, but now everybody sees it. Nobody in their right mind would watch the Knicks, you know? Nobody would watch them. Like, why would you watch the New York Knicks? So if you're a Knicks fan and you're seeing Carmelo Anthony night in and night out, you knew what was going on despite the, the huge numbers because, again, the eyeball test will fool you. Number one, the eyeball test doesn't work if you do not watch the games. So everybody can put up 20-some-odd points on a bad team. That does not mean that you are very good or productive. But everybody was thinking, hey, Carmelo Anthony's an all-star. Carmelo Anthony scored 24 points and, you know, five rebounds and four assists. He's a really good player. Two years later, he's looking for a job. I'm talking about looking hard. We may get to the point where Melo's in the big three. Imagine that. So because of all of this, because Melo has had, I'm talking about a, a fall from grace that is faster than the man of steel himself, right? Faster than a speeding bullet. Carmelo Anthony has been bought out by the Atlanta Hawks, traded from the Oklahoma City, traded for the Knicks for Ennis Cantor and Doug McDermott, traded from the Oklahoma City Thunder for Dennis Schroeder, and now about to be cut from the Houston Rockets. All of this is happening, and it hasn't even caught up to his ego yet. 
oh, it's got to hurt. So because he's about to get cut again, because he has failed with another playoff team again, we got to run it back one last time for Melo, man, because, yo, it's been a rough go at it for Carmelo, but he's still a future Hall of Famer. He's still got a national championship. He's still got a bunch of uh, gold medals for Team USA. It's, it's not bad being Carmelo Anthony. He's living, a, he's living a great life. But damn it. Damn, homie. In high school, you was the man, homie. What the f*** happened to you? If you think I was a little bit harsh on Carmelo Anthony, if you think like Steven Jackson, who earlier this week said the NBA is actually trying to blackball Carmelo. If you feel like that, let me know. Tell me why I'm wrong. Hit me up on Twitter. We're at Quarterly Show. That's Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E Show. Or email us. Email me why I'm being too hard on Carmelo. Email me why Carmelo Anthony will be a good fit for whatever team that you like. Email me at quarterlyreport at gmail.com. Again, that's quarterly, Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E, report at gmail.com. Get involved, guys. Interact with the show. I love to hear your thoughts on Carmelo Anthony or whatever else you want to hear me talk about. All right, guys, that was quarter number one. We're going to stay on the hardwood for quarter number two as the NBA world was turned upside down with a huge trade this weekend. Let's get it going with our second topic this week. Second quarter. Y'all know I love the NBA. It's by far my favorite sport. I shouldn't say by far, but it's easily my favorite sport of all the sports. If I can only pick one, it's basketball, professional basketball, and it'll always be that way. Like I, I'm sold. I've always been sold. I'll be what you know what they say: the 60-year-old guy who loves baseball and romanticizes about baseball and watches Field of Dreams every other month. Well, that's me with the NBA. Like I'll watch White Men Can't Jump every two months just because I just love basketball. So, you know, when I hear people talk about, oh, man, you know, you know who's going to win a championship, blah, blah, blah. We've heard it all before. That's only part of the beauty. And we've talked about parody in other leagues, and this isn't the segment to do that. But there's so much that happens in basketball. It's been a week, or I'm sorry, a month of the season. We've had a legit fight on a basketball court between Chris Paul and Rajon Rondo. Kyrie Irving threw a basketball into the stands because the player was trying to get 50 points. You've got the Rockets basically, I don't know what's going on with them and Carmelo Anthony. We'll touch on that a little bit later. We already talked about it in the first quarter. And now you have the Golden State Warriors basically ripping apart at the seams between Draymond Green and Kevin Durant. DeMarcus Cousins hasn't even played a second for that team yet. And it all started with Jimmy Butler and the Minnesota Timberwolves. And sadly, that saga has come to an end. As the Timberwolves have traded Jimmy Butler, one of the 12 to 15 best players in this league. For all things considering, a decent haul. They got Robert Covington, who was on an extremely team-friendly contract, and Dario Sarge. I think combined, those two players make $14 million. Jared Bayless is also thrown in there, and they got like uh, a second, a future second-round pick. So on its face, it's like, wow, the T-Wolves got fleeced. 
but this is what happens, right? Jimmy Butler, and I get it, you know, when he made his play, and that play is basically erupting in practice, calling Rachel Nichols and ESPN and doing that interview immediately following that practice and letting everyone know he is unhappy in Minnesota. Once he made his play, the time, like the, the shot clock, if you will, it had accelerated. There had to be a decision that was made. And everybody, you know, we could debate about the means in which he went about making his quote-unquote play and his way he got out of Minnesota. But we often forget that after last season, when the season was over, he went to the front office and went to the organization. It was like, look, y'all got to get me out of here. I don't want to be here. He felt that Towns and Andrew Wiggins weren't necessarily uh, driven for ultimate success. He felt like they, they weren't, I don't know, committed to what it took to be a champion. And he did that quietly. The Timberwolves offered him a contract this offseason. He, he rejected it. So he's entering his last season. No, At no point did we know it was as bad it, it, as it became. And the Timberwolves were working with leverage. The fact that it all blew up in everyone's face and the Timberwolves were just so slow to make a move, this, all things considered, is a good haul for Minnesota. And I'm not going to spend this whole quarter talking about the Timberwolves because obviously there's a huge fish to fry over in the Eastern Conference. But I do want to fight back the narrative that Jimmy Butler was somehow a locker room cancer. I'm not in that locker room. I don't know all the ins and outs, but I am familiar with people who are familiar with that locker room. Uh, for, I'm fortunate enough to know some some people throughout the league. And what I've heard is that, you know, there is a narrative that Jimmy Butler doesn't get along with young players. And that's just not true. A lot of the young players on Minnesota actually rock with Jimmy. A lot of them. The problem isn't with Jimmy and young players. The problem has been with Jimmy and guys who aren't willing to commit themselves to to being champions Everybody can't be a champion, obviously, but you can always train and practice and go about your business as if you are one. And there are a lot of questions in Minnesota now, starting at the top with Carl Anthony Towns. Remember, the Timberwolves had the longest playoff drought in the NBA prior to last season. Jimmy Butler's first season in Minneapolis, he gets there, they go to the playoffs. We'll see if Carl Anthony Towns and Andrew Wiggins can continue that momentum because all eyes are on them now, all of them. We saw what happened with Chicago. Chicago has all this quote-unquote nice young talent. They were in the playoffs with Jimmy Butler. He leaves. What happens? Lottery pick. They got a lot of quote-unquote nice young talent now. We'll see what happens, and we'll see. There's a lot of pressure on Carl Anthony Towns and Andrew Wiggins now. It's time for them to live up to those huge and massive salaries that they're making. But the fun part about this entire ordeal is envisioning what happens now in Philadelphia and throughout the entire NBA landscape. Because look, Jimmy Butler is one of the best players in this league. I just talked to you about it. Jimmy Butler may be the third best player on Philadelphia. And when you are structured in that, form that way oh my goodness 
Sky is the limit. The sky is the limit. So many people were questioning Philadelphia and what they're doing and how could they make a move and ripping Philadelphia because of their offseason. And I had the complete opposite uh, opinion on the Sixers all year. They went after Kawhi, they didn't get him. They went after LeBron, they didn't get him. But to me, I'm thinking, yo, this organization understands. This organization realizes they are close. And when you are close, go for it. I love it. Because there's two sides to this, right? There's a lot of different uh, places that you can fall on the NBA landscape. You can be the team who is far away, but because you've gone to the playoffs X amount of years, <clears throat> Wizards, <clears throat> excuse me, you are kind of lulled into this belief in yourself that you are close, when in reality you're not. That's purgatory in the NBA. Teams who just get to the playoffs and feel that they're close, despite the fact that they haven't really done much, right? The Raptors were that before this past season. Where there are teams, hey, man, we've been to the playoffs X amount of years. The Brooklyn Nets, all these teams who are close, but they're not really that close. So you make a big free agent acquisition. You sign, you re-sign one of your, your own players to a large contract. You got you to gotta avoid these pitfalls of the NBA because it's so easy to be lured into thinking you're really close when in reality you're in the desert and you're looking at a mirage. You know what I mean? You think you're close to the oasis, but in reality, you just see more and more sand. And that's an awful place to be. Then they're the play the teams who are who have a nice foundation, but they're just cheap. So they draft well, and then when it's time to pay somebody, they go. Because they never resign. Phoenix is exactly this is to the T, right? The Suns, for a long period, had a really nice stretch of play. And then People got old. The young players, they didn't want to resign. And then after a while, you're just done. And now you got one player who's really nice, but you don't have anything surrounding him because you're cheap. That's also an awful place to be. But when you are legit close and your organization is not cheap, that's that's exciting. And if you're a fan of the Sixers, oh, you've got to love what your team has at its disposal. Robert Covington is a really, really nice player. Dario Sarge, I had I had high expectations for him once they drafted him. He's not a bad player, but he is underperforming. But this is the beauty, right? Everybody is so caught up on your max players and the top guys. But when you're building a team, because no team is going to play, pay an exorbitant amount of salary cap and luxury tax, dollars year after year after year you have to have the necessary pieces that can be flipped right Otto Porter is a better player than Robert Covington however Robert Covington at 11 million dollars is far more valuable than Otto Porter at 27 for obvious reasons and the fact that the Sixers have their cap structured have their payroll structured in a way that Joel Embiid is already signed, and he didn't sign a max because of his injury concerns when they offered him that deal. He's getting paid a lot of money, but it's not a max. J.J. Reddick is signed in a way that he's making money now, but it's a one-year deal. I'm sure after the, 
when you look at his salary in its totality for the last two years, he's been paid handsomely, right? And I'm sure there's some under the table, nod, nod, wink, wink deal that they have for JJ moving forward because he's been paid so much these last two years. Ben Simmons is still on his rookie deal. Zaire Smith, although he's injured this year, is a really intriguing prospect, has three more years after this season on a rookie pay scale. The Sixers have so much flexibility that they are able to trade for Jimmy Butler and resign him and still theoretically have money moving forward. So much of the process has been dismissed in terms of, hey, you just tank to get a top pick. But also what is overlooked when it comes to Sam Hankey and what Philadelphia did is quickly identifying players whose uh, perception, the, the perception of a player, and we talked about this with Carmelo, is higher than their actual product productivity. I remember when Michael Carter Williams was traded by Sam Hankey and everybody, all the quote unquote experts threw a fit about how can you trade Marco, Michael Carter Williams? He's a rookie. They got a first round pick from Michael Carter Williams. And it wasn't that long ago. Think about that. They got a first round pick by taking on Nick Stauskas. The, the Sixers have a first round pick from Miami. I want to say next year. Those picks aren't just the ability to sign a prospect. So even if Miami's pick doesn't become a lottery pick, which it probably will be, it's also team-friendly contracts, right? It's cheap labor that you can fill in around your core because the entire idea of the process, quote-unquote process, was get elite players. You can't win in the NBA unless you have two probably three elite players. Look at Philadelphia. Who has outside of obviously Golden State and they have their own issues. Which team in the entire NBA has a three headed monster better than Philly? Boston doesn't. Toronto, I love the Raptors. They don't. Houston doesn't. Utah doesn't. Denver, go down, Milwaukee, go down the line. If you do subscribe to the notion that you need three elite players to be a legit championship contender, well, Philadelphia just passed everyone except for the champions. And the thing about Philly's three, they all are elite, not good, not above average, but spectacular defensive players. Oh my gosh, if you are a fan of the Sixers, we don't know how it plays out, but this moment when it's new, when it's just happening, oh, you got to love this feeling. If you could just bottle this feeling up, I mean, tip of the cap to you all. Because again, you've got Jimmy Butler. Everyone acts like Jimmy Butler's 31 years old, 32 years old. Jimmy Butler just turned 39. So if you do sign him to a four-year deal, you literally have signed him throughout his prime 33 years old is when that contract will be done boom you're over 33 34 he'll start declining you don't resign him ben simmons has a chance not now but has a chance to be the best player in this league this is not hyperbole from me and joel mb may be the mvp right now and that doesn't take into account zaire smith 
It doesn't take into account all the picks that they have lined up. It doesn't take into account if, I guess, we can start discussing when they should decide to pull the trigger on a possible Markel Fultz trade because I feel for the kid. I've talked about this in the past. He's a local boy. He's from this area in Maryland, and I, I wish nothing but the best for him. But Markel Fultz cannot be the the spectacular player that you have that I imagine still have hope for if you draft him number one. He can't be that now. There is no time. There is no space. All things Philadelphia 76ers has been accelerated. They don't have time to develop Markel Fultz and his shot and all this other stuff. He, they're, on the, they're on the clock now. This is championship window mode now. And Markel Fultz, I still think he can be a, a tremendous basketball player, but I don't think he can be that in Philadelphia anymore. But this is year two of Markel Fultz. It's not like he's got all this, you know, dark clouds of drama and like there's you see the potential there. The shot is broken and I don't know what happened with the shot, but he's still an amazing athlete. He still finishes well in the paint and restricted area. He rebounds. He runs the floor. There is talent there and you absolutely are correct. And they can trade Markel Fultz and they probably should. You're not going to get a King's ransom for him, but if you get a nice player and a pick, not a great player, trade him to Atlanta for maybe DeAndre Bembry or a Hurtis or maybe a pick. Philadelphia already has the hard part down, and that's why I love this trade. In the NBA, it's about can you get the great player? Can you get multiple great players? Because guys want to link up with each other. The 76ers have the three great players. And the 15th best player that they just traded for, they traded two nice role players in a second-round pick for, he could be the third best on their team. He doesn't have to worry about getting Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid motivated. They're not Carl Anthony Towns and Andrew Wiggins just happy to, to make their money and happy to put up points. No, they play in Philly. The fan base will light a fire under their behinds. Now it's about winning championships. It's about competing for championships. The hard part is done. Now you fill in the, the supporting cast roles. That's all they have to do now. The big contracts are taking care of themselves. They've done that. They've done the hard part. And man, if you are a Sixers fan, you've got to love that. You not only have a team that correctly identified their place in the NBA landscape, right? And on the food chain when Sam Presti took over, they realized that they were headed towards purgatory where you're good enough to get in the playoffs but bad enough to do anything in it and you really are stuck with contracts that you can't move and you're basically spending six, seven years in a cycle that no one really wants unless you're just about selling tickets. They quickly identified that is exactly where they were headed, blew the whole thing up, got the system, found the glitch in the system, not just by tanking, but identifying players who actually are productive and identifying players who have a larger than life uh, perceived value among the league and flipping it to acquire picks and just continue to acquire picks. And now 
five years later, we are legit talking about a potential NBA contender, championship contender. Sixers fans, your Eagles aren't really living up to, you know, the expectations that they set off for themselves by winning the Super Bowl last season. But, but, if you love Philly sports and you're a Sixers fan, man, the future is bright. You guys heard the horn. That means we are at halftime. Again, man, it's been fun discussing the NBA. We're going to continue talking all things hoops in the third quarter with Perry Aston from the NBA Unwrapped podcast. He will be my guest this week. But before we get to the third quarter, obviously we have halftime. And this week on halftime, we're running back another one of my favorite segments. I grew up a huge wrestling fan. And though I don't watch wrestling anymore and haven't for probably over uh, over a decade, coming up on two decades, really. I still long for the years of Stone Cold Steve Austin and The Rock. There's an awesome Twitter uh, page. I want to say it's 90s WWE, something along those lines. And from time to time, I get caught up looking at some of the posts that they put because they spend so much time reflecting back on the golden years of the WWF, the Attitude Era, if you will. And there's nothing like the one, the only Stone Cold Steve Austin. And sometimes... Watching sports or watching the news or entertainment or whatever the case may be, you'll be stuck hearing something from someone and only being able to think of one word, a word that Stone Cold Steve Austin famously uh, branded for himself. And of course, that word, that segment is called what? Take a look. What? without giving him the weapons what? around him. And I think that's why Amari Cooper was a big deal. And we needed to get Amari Cooper. And I think tonight, tonight right here in Dallas, we see the dawn of a new day. What? The beginning of a new age. What? In a time where the Cowboys what? rightfully regain and take their proper spot among kings. What? Do you hear me? Regain what? and take their proper spot among the kings. What? I'm just letting you know, baby. That's right. <laughs> hey, uh, yo. Sometimes during the halftime segment, there's a lot of production value that is uh, needed to make 
that segment worthwhile. For that one, oh man, just get out the way and just let Michael Irvin and uh, the magic that whatever that was, let it breathe, man. I swear, I know that's a week old, but that is just, and I'm not even a fan of the, the first take, you know, undisputed debate shows, if you will. But that was magical. I'm sure by now all of you all have seen it. There's a lot of funny little subtle things about that entire display of television magic that Michael Irvin went through. Low key, the best part of that is the look of just sheer shock and fear that comes across the face of Molly Kim. Like she was like, yo, what is going on? She was like, what? You feel me? That's how everybody was. You watch that joint and like the only thing you was like, yo, what is going on with Mike? Mike was lunching. But yo, that joint was hilarious. In fact, in do in putting that segment together, it made me think, like, yo, when I was a kid, I used like I said, I used to really, really watch wrestling. I don't, I don't watch wrestling anymore, but I used to love it. And when I was a kid, like they would have the wrestlers in front of like this green screen. And they would have like whatever the like symbol was in the backdrop. Ultimate Warrior, God bless the dead. He would have his little logo and he would be nuts and talk in front of the camera. And there would be no one interviewing him. He's just talking. The Undertaker would be in front of like a graveyard or something, right? A green screen, but it was like a graveyard. And there wouldn't be anybody interviewing him. It'd be like Paul Bear, God bless the dead. And they would just talk. So an upcoming segment, because it was just like, yo, this is just too easy. It's just to have people who are talking sports just lose their mind, but have like wrestling music underneath it, like a, as, a, as a music bed. Because Michael Irvin was having just a heel promo. Like, you know what I'm saying? He was doing everything, screaming, being nonsensical, you know, giving the, the cheap pop for the fans. He was waving the fans on. That chant was amazing. So that was halftime for this week, bro. Michael Irvin, God bless you, man. You are amazing. I don't know what the hell you were thinking or whatever the case may be, but bless you because that was amazing. All right, y'all. Halftime adjustments have been made. We have... You know, set the game plan in place for the second half, and we're going to finish this show up strong with my guest this week from NBA Unwrapped, the NBA Unwrapped podcast, Perry Ashton. My next guest is the co-host of the NBA Unwrapped podcast. Make sure you guys download and subscribe on iTunes, wherever else you listen to podcasts. He is Perry Ashton Perry. Thank you so much for joining me this week on The Quarterly Report. Yeah, what's going on, Armand? Thank you so much for having me on. No problem, man. Thank you for joining me. Again, make sure you guys follow him on Twitter. He's at Perry Aston. That's P-E-R-R-Y-A-S-T-O-N. Again, co-host of the NBA Unwrapped Podcast. Make sure you guys check out the pod, download, subscribe, and give five-star reviews. All right, Perry, man, so you're out in L.A., and, man, am I jealous of you. Yeah, right now it's a, a tad bit overcast. You know, I'm wearing a long sleeve, no complaints <laughs> here. Everything is perfect. But, uh, yeah, no, L.A.'s got some beautiful weather, beautiful girls, beautiful sports. You know, can't complain. <laughs> so that's how we start, man. You're going to brag about the beautiful weather in Los Angeles. Well, you know what? Let me flex on the awful weather in Washington, D.C. It's probably, at the time people are listening to this interview, about 30-some-odd degrees potentially snowing so if this is your idea of great weather you are insane but i digress let's talk about the nba what we have you on the show to discuss and as you said los angeles is a beautiful place and right now 
after a rough patch to start the season, the Lakers are playing some beautiful basketball. They've seemingly, you know, found themselves, got some traction, and are playing much better than they were to start. However, anytime LeBron um, comes to a new team, there there is some uh, rough patches to uh, to begin with. So um, the rough start is to be expected. But asking you right now, Perry, how do you assess what we have seen from the Lakers, I guess, what, about a month into the season? And how how do you, I guess, see their trajectory going forward this season? You see, there's some good and there's some bad. And I know you wanted me to highlight both. Seven and six right now. They're currently the eighth seed in the West. Seven and three in the last ten games, riding a three-game win streak, heading into tomorrow's game against Portland. So they're looking a lot better as of late. You know, they lost two games to the Denver Nuggets right off the bat, back-to-back games. Nuggets have looked great, so shout-out right. to them. They've really turned some stuff around. But after those two games against the Nuggets, the Lakers really haven't looked bad. So that's the one thing I'm going to point out. And you can't, like you said, with LeBron James, you have to expect a learning curve. You have to expect that process to actually unravel. Because if you remember in Miami, when they put that super team together, it wasn't completely peachy at first. Exactly. It had a bit of rough waters, and they had to get through it. People were, oh, is this the best team ever? Were we overreacting? I think it's just a little bit of relax. You know, me and my other co-host, Christian, he always uses that Aaron Rodgers quote. He's like, you know, relax. You know, it's one right. of those. Don't freak out. It's okay. you got LeBron James on your team, and he's still playing very well. And I feel like he's only going at 80%. I feel like right. he's only he's like coasting right now. He's watching the team. He's really assessing who's going to be his guys, who he can put his trust into. And I know that sounds kind of weird, but that's just how LeBron James does it. And while doing that, he's averaging 26.4 right. per game, 7.8 rebounds, 7.1 assists. And even though he's not playing defense, quote-unquote, anymore. He still has got a steal and a half a game and .7 blocks. So I'll take that any day. <laughs> and, you know, while the team's figuring things out, LeBron's going to keep doing what he's doing. But there is, you know, I want to bring up one big negative here. Right. LeBron James late in the game. And yeah. I'm, you know, he's no Kobe Bryant when it comes to crunch time. He's no MJ when it comes to those last-second shots. Yes, LeBron's clutch. Do not get me wrong. But – when it comes down to just simple free throws, things where it's just basic fundamentals, I have right. some stats here for you. In the first quarter, he shoots 72% from the line. Second quarter, 76% from the line. Third quarter, 79%. Fourth quarter, 74 So, yeah, it's the lowest in the first and the fourth, but not by a lot. That kind of varies. But where it really gets kind of crazy here, clutch free throws. And when I say clutch, that means that the game is within five points. Clutch free throws within the last five minutes of the game – 58%. Clutch free throws within the last minute, 44%. Clutch free throws within the last 30 seconds, 38%. That's insane. Yeah. Remember we were just talking 72, 76, 79, 74? Those right. aren't the best free throw percentages, but I'll take those. But when you get right. 38% and you're that guy that's on the line late in the game, I don't know what's going on. That's where I'm going to say he, he's really got to get that figured out. Even in the post-game interview, he said, I'm garbage from the free throw line right now late in the game. He straight up admitted, I'm garbage. Like, that yeah. was word from word. So, he's got to figure that out. But going back to his stat line and the fact that LeBron James is in a Lakers uniform, let's remember this team last year. Let's remember where we were. You know, they had a very good end of the season. But, you know, right now you've got LeBron James. This is a team that I'm telling they're making the playoffs no matter what. 
Right. LeBron James, if he makes the eight seed, he doesn't care. Once the playoffs come around, that's when the season actually starts for a LeBron James team. Once again, guys, I'm joined by Perry Aston, co-host of the NBA Unwrapped podcast. Make sure you guys download and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or wherever else you listen to podcasts. Make sure you also follow him on Twitter at Perry Aston. And, you know, the LeBron stuff, look, man, we could spend all day talking about how amazing LeBron James is. I think we take for granted how amazing of a basketball player he is. Like you said, defensively, he's not the player he once was. His free throw issues are a mess. And I don't know, I don't even know how you begin to explain that. But all that said, he's still 26-7-7 and or something along those lines. He's still one of the best players in this league. So there are, you know, he gets the benefit of the doubt. There needs to be patience in Los Angeles with the Lakers. But I don't know if Lakers fans know anything about patience because you guys are so accustomed to winning. So you can imagine my shock when the reports came out that Luke Walton got ripped by Magic Johnson in a, um, I guess, a meeting prior to your guys' most recent road trip. Uh, so my question to you is really simple. How hot is the seat that Luke Walton sits on? And do you or anyone who covers the Lakers, do you guys um, consider or see a potential coaching change in the not-too-distant future? I wouldn't say the seat's hot, but I would say that Luke Walton is in the passenger seat of Magic Johnson's BMW, and he's turning on the <laughs> the seat warmers a little bit. You know what I mean? His his butt's getting a little warm, but it's not the hot seat quite yet. Okay. But I honestly think you have to take a shot at your coach at that point. You have LeBron James on your team, a perfect young core. You couldn't really make one much better for what the Lakers are trying to do right now. And you made some good additions in the offseason. Maybe not the ones that every single NBA fan envisioned would have been the perfect signings for them. Right. But if you see, you know, Rondo, JaVale, like some of these guys, even Lance Stevenson off the bench, they're carving out their own roles. They're helping this team. And just like we said, a LeBron James-led team needs some time to gel, figure this out. But I think Luke Walton is going to be okay because LeBron James is going to be okay. LeBron James right. doesn't lose, and they're not going to have a losing record. That's just not going to happen. So right. I think Luke Walton is okay for this year. He kind of deflected some of it, saying that this was just kind of a normal meeting for him and Magic and, you know, Miss Bus and everything. They were just having kind of their reviews that they always do when there's problems going around, or even if not, that they just meet and kind of gather their thoughts and get on the same page. But I, like you said, it didn't look like that. It looked like Magic was taking a couple shots at Luke. And right. I think just they kind of turned political right after that because Luke Walton was like, no, we just kind of do this often, and this is something that's normal. But is it normal? We're not sure because this is the first time that Luke Walton's been in a position to where he's expected to succeed. This exactly. is his first head coaching job. He came from the winning winningness of the Golden State Warriors as an assistant, took over the Lakers job after obviously playing for the Lakers, and was part of this rebuild process. So he wasn't expected to win. And when they made that run last year at the end to where they at least weren't going to make the playoffs, but they were right in the middle of the pack to where they were right there pretty close out of it, it showed that Luke Walton, maybe it was him, maybe it was the players, but they exceeded expectations last year. So now right. he's riding a good momentum into this this year. And you have LeBron James. So I yeah. think he's totally fine. And then after this year, if something starts to struggle again, then you can look towards the next coach. Once again, guys, I'm joined by Perry Aston, co-host of the NBA Unwrapped podcast. Also, 
football fans. He also has an NFL Unwrapped, Unwrapped podcast as well. Make sure you follow both of those shows on Twitter at NBA Unwrapped at NFL Unwrapped. And make sure you download both podcasts on iTunes or wherever else you listen to podcasts. So, you know, Perry, we spent much of the time talking about the Los Angeles Lakers. We're going to end this talking about another Western Conference team and a friend of LeBron James, a story that's kind of dominating the rounds as we speak. And that's Carmelo Anthony, man. You know, as a Knicks fan, you know, I don't know why, one of the worst decisions I've ever made. But as a Knicks fan, you know, I remember telling my friends just a handful of years ago that, man, Carmelo's not as good as you guys think he is. Now, I'm not taking shots at Melo. Obviously, he's going through it. But I think what we've seen over the last year and a half, not even a half, the first year and a month, is that the productivity that people assumed Carmelo Anthony was bringing to the floor just doesn't exist anymore. You forget, he was an all-star just three seasons ago in his last year in New York. So how do you make, what do you make of this entire situation with Carmelo Anthony? I believe he's being, I believe he's being scapegoated a bit in Houston because they've got issues that have nothing to do with Melo. But we are, it feels like looking at like the last hurrah, if you will, of a future Hall of Famer. What do you make of this? This is such a weird situation, like you said, and I know you just mentioned you being a Knicks fan. Sorry about that, bro. <laughs> but I appreciate it. They, they are – he averaged 24.7 points per game as a Nick, very close to his 24.8 points per game with the Nuggets. Right. With the Thunder, 16.2 points per game. That's over an eight-point drop. And then with the Thunder this year – I'm sorry, with the Rockets this year, 13.4. And with the last two teams, he's shooting 40%. You're 100% right. Melo's done. I've never seen such a decline in a player this quickly. And if that, yes, he's always been trashed on the defensive side of the ball. And he's got his holes. But like you said, he's always been an elite scorer. Right. If that means the ball's in his hand, if that means he's a spot-up shooter, he's always been able to do it. He's an Olympic legend for the yeah. records that he holds for Team USA. And he's a Nick legend and a Nugget legend for the stuff that he did there during his time, no matter what happened. And, you know, right now this is sad because I'm a Mellow fan. I don't want to – as an NBA guy who, you know, covers the NBA, I'm not a Mellow fan. But as an NBA kid, you know, as someone who's still a kid at heart right now watching the NBA, and I love Mellow. Mellow time, you know, with ball in his hand, isolation – that was so fun to watch and see him, you know, turn on the game and point two fingers to his forehead. You know what I mean? Right. That's, that's, what, that's what it was all about. So this is sad. Steven Jackson released a video on Twitter pretty much saying that the NBA is blackballing Mello, just right. like the NBA did to him and just like the NBA did to Allen Iverson. And right. I don't have a ton of opinion on that personally, but I think it's interesting to hear because he said this has happened to numerous other players I'm not going to name. But most notably, me, AI, and now it's happening to my boy Melo. And right. I read into that thinking, yeah, I mean, there's politics to every sport. There's politics right. to every league. And I really think they're trying to make Melo to look like the fall guy. Like Dwayne White said over in Miami, you know, the, the Rockets are making my guy to be the fall guy. And right. I don't think that's fair. And that leads me to my end point here where I think Melo's going to end up in Miami for his last mm. stop. And I don't think that's an awful idea. But, you know, Melo and the Rockets have had ongoing discussions about, you know, finding a new landing spot. And a lot closer to the organization sources think that 
he's already played his last game in Houston. Right. So I don't think you're going to see him put on a Houston Rockets jersey after his last game. And, you know, the Rockets are below 500 after their 65-win campaign last year. It was a team that almost beat the Rockets and went to the finals. And then, right. yeah, you lost, you lost some big pieces on the perimeter, especially Ariza. So this is not just Melo. Who, but yeah, you got to find a fall guy, and I guess getting him off the team will clear up some space for them to try and give other people minutes and try out different rotations and not have to feel so obligated to mellow. But like I said, those numbers don't lie. Steven Jackson said he's being blackballed. I think, honestly, he's got a point. I don't think the NBA likes mellow much. I think he causes a lot of issues. And you saw how that ended in New York as a right. fan. It was dramatic and very long drawn out. So yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't sign with the team, but I honestly don't see the end of Melo quite yet. Yeah, it does seem that way. But to kind of go full circle and put a bow on this interview, you know, we started with LeBron and it's just amazing when you think Dwayne Wade is in his final season. Carmelo Anthony appears that he is on his last legs as a professional NBA basketball player. All the while, LeBron James, who was drafted in the same draft class as those two guys, there may be a little slippage in his play, but he's still one of the very, very best players in the world. It's absolutely amazing, and it's just a testament to him and a plus for Laker Nation uh, worldwide. Once again, guys, this has been my guest this week, Perry Aston. He is the co-host of the NBA Unwrapped podcast. Make sure you guys download, subscribe, to iTunes or wherever else you listen to your podcast. And make sure you guys check out the NFL Unwrapped podcast as well. Perry and his co-host break down the NFL season as it enters the second half of the year. Perry, man, it was your first time on the show, but an amazing job. I look forward to having you back on the show later on down the road to break down more NBA hoops, specifically the Los Angeles Lakers. Perry, have a good one, man, and thanks again for joining me this week on the Quarterly Report. Yeah, man, keyword, first appearance. I'm coming on yep. for sure. Thank you so much for having me on. Really was a pleasure. All right, guys, we are three quarters down, meaning, of course, there's only one quarter left. We're going to step into the squared circle for our final topic. Fourth quarter. We had another fight night Saturday night this past weekend, and what an amazing card. What an amazing main event, as we saw retiring cruiserweight Tony Bellew, call it quits and go out like a soldier, man. You know, tip of the cap to him, stepping in the ring with one of the best fighters in the world, Alexander Usyk, and Usyk does what he always does, man. He, he steals the show. He closes the show with a knockout. I have him before this fight, man, about a month and a half, two months ago, I had him as my fifth fighter pound for pound. You really got to start thinking about moving him up that list. I know a lot of people have him in the top three. Um, you could obviously make that case. He is without question the fighter of the year in 2018. And he had another explosive, just spectacular knockout. So first off, we want to congratulate Usyk for an amazing victory. And like I said, he is the fighter of 2018. And now he's going to move up to heavyweight where there are a lot of really intriguing, enticing matchups for 2019 and we're going to get to that in a second but i also want to give a round of applause to belly man for calling it a career a great career 
Again, a lot of you all know him from Creed. He was the guy that beat Adonis in the final fight. Uh, he was an actual legit fighter champion. Bellew is a great fighter, man. And uh, we want to give him praise and give him the flowers as he calls it a career. I know those Creed checks were nice, Tony. So keep on cashing them. Hopefully you are in, if not this newer Creed movie that comes out next week. Maybe the third possibly a fourth if it continues i'm sure they'll keep on cranking these movies out if they are um if they keep generating money if they are profitable but speaking of profit y'all know i love boxing i'm a huge fight fan and there are some things that are happening in the world of boxing not necessarily in the ring that really have me you know i'm super excited but i'm also a bit i don't know curious as the logic to what's going on with some of these decisions Despite what, or despite the lack of coverage from the quote-unquote mainstream sports media, boxing is thriving right now. And there are a lot of outlets who are scratching to get boxing on their networks, on their platforms. And not just any old matchroom uh, bingo hall boxing, but the elite boxing, because there's so many of them. And it's been divided, man. It's like Game of Thrones boxing edition, right? You've got top rank, and they have aligned themselves with ESPN. Top rank has, I think, without question, the two best boxers pound for pound in the sport, Sally Lomachenko and Terrence Crawford, well, two of the three. You know, we can make a debate about Terrence Crawford because he moved up in weight, but before moving to 147, he was, he completely dominated his division. Give that man his respect. HBO, they realized that they couldn't, compete in this marketplace because it's cutthroat so they folded fox has now jumped in the bed they had a ufc deal they opted out of the ufc to line themselves with boxing and they have lined themselves with al Heyman's uh fit premier boxing champions pbc they have errol spence they've got mikey garcia we're going to talk about those two specifically in a moment but they've got i mean almost all of the best welterweights Keith Thurman, Danny Garcia, Sean Porter, uh, Adrian Broner. He's also a uh, Al Heyman guy. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. You've got a really deep card, a deep talent pool, a stable of boxers. And they, too, have, it's always been a kind of an Al Heyman, Bob Arum cold war. HBO got caught up in it a bit before they moved to, um, ESPN Showtime was also caught up in that Cold War as well. Now there's enough space between ESPN and Fox that it's not really, you know, if the if the money is right, and we saw this with the the Pacquiao um, Mayweather fight, there's been some other smaller fights as well between the two. You know, this the Cold War isn't as bad as it once was, but it does still exist. There is a split, if you will. But now. There is a wild card that has been thrown into all of it, and it's Eddie Hearn's Dazon um, imprint, if you will. And what Hearn and former ESPN president John Skipper have done with Dazon is so impressive. I mean, look, I understand a lot of you all hate Eddie Hearn because y'all feel he's a scoundrel, he's a sleazy promoter, and all of that may or may not be true. I'm not here to discuss that. I am here to discuss an ever-changing environment in the sport of boxing. You don't have to look around. Boxing is on 
has continued this this ascension that has been really impressive, really remarkable. But the two countries really, I mean, the life force, the life force of boxing has been Mexico and the continent of Europe. Like those two areas on the map have pumped so much energy and life into the sport. And each weekend you have another, it's seemingly huge fight, but while everyone else is still focused on this outdated 1980, 1990 mindset of let's get our fights and let's build them up to be pay-per-view fighters. The zone has basically seen Netflix and has seen what's going on with streaming and online media is like, yo, we're not doing the pay-per-view model anymore because the pay-per-view model specifically in America is dead or at least dying. And what they have done is flip the game for $9.99 a month, essentially, with one month free, you get every single fight that they have. And the zone works with MMA as well. I think they have a deal with Bellator. And I, look, I'm not an MMA guy, so don't look to me for any deep dive in MMA analysis. But I do know that there is some interest in Bellator. But as far as boxing goes, they're like, we're not going to ask you to pay 50, 60, sometimes $80 for one fight. Get the subscription and you'll get unlimited amount of fights. Every single fight that we bring out, that we put out. It's something that the WWE Network has done that was brilliant at the time. It was a risk. But again, when you have smart people running your ship, you can identify certain trends among the buying public. And pay-per-view numbers have continued to decrease. Sure, there are certain fighters who generate buzz. In the MMA, it is um, Conor McGregor. He seemingly has found the code. He can flip and, and, and get pay-per-view buys unlike any other mixed martial artist that exists right now, right? The, the UFC had a, a golden era recently. with John Jones, Conor McGregor, and Ronda Rousey. Those three were box office, you know, they were top notch when it comes to pay-per-view buys. But little by little, John Jones couldn't keep himself together. Ronda Rousey had those two losses and now she's retired. Now it's Conor McGregor and, you know, they haven't really done a good job in terms of establishing new talent at that level. And look, man, Conor McGregor is lightning in the bottle. You can't catch, you can't duplicate that, right? Every, some people who are amazing fighters, but they can't sell themselves. Some people can sell themselves, but they're not amazing, exciting fighters. McGregor has both of that, both of those things. And that's what makes him such an, um, a box office draw. And in terms of boxing, Floyd Mayweather, he's the ultimate cheat code. I don't know why people are so intrigued with Floyd because he's not an exciting fighter. If you're just a casual boxing fan, you've seen Floyd's fights before. If you're just a casual sports fan, you've probably seen a Floyd fight. And it's not action-packed. That's not how he fights. But he knows how to sell himself. And he is such a bankable box office draw, despite all of the things that come along with Floyd Mayweather. But outside of Floyd, who are the other big draws, at least in America? Canelo? And that's it. 
When HBO folded up, where did Canelo go? Ah, he went to the zone. The zone. Eddie Hearns knew, knew well, not even really knew, but his, his vision. But not only do they have Canelo, the biggest draw in the sport, they also have Anthony Joshua, the second biggest draw in the sport. And again, Mexico, Europe. They have identified to a T not only how consumers are spending their money, but who consumers will spend their money on. So again, the last Canelo Golovkin fight, which had a shade over 1 million pay-per-view buys, which is really good, but that was at a cost of $85. So for 11 months of 9.99, you get that, but you also get every other fight, including the biggest heavyweight in the sport. Do the math. All of all of Canelo's fans are going to head over to the zone. If you're an American heavyweight fan, Anthony Joshua is the real deal. And whatever he does, whether it is a potential, hopefully, fingers crossed, Deontay Wilder showdown in 2019, or, and this is where the beauty of Hearn comes in, Usyk is moving up to heavyweight. Usyk is one of the best fighters in the sport. Is there a potential Anthony Joshua Usyk fight in 2019? Because if it is, guess what? You need the subscription to see it. But it's not $85 for one fight. It's $9.99 for a month. It's such an amazing, it's such a brilliant and amazing idea for the sport of boxing, which desperately needs it because just having the, the talent has gotten boxing to this point where there is a bit of a renaissance. But if they do want to break through and have this kind of reawakening, right, and to get back into at least the minds of the casual sports fan, because despite I can give you all the metrics that would suggest that boxing is extremely healthy, but people, because there are not a lot of people who can or will talk boxing on podcast or on sports radio or on television sports uh, outlets. The perception is that the sport is dead. So how do you break a perception? Despite the fact that that's just not true. You need the eyeballs. You need the, the press, right? You need the coverage, which is kind of what Al Heyman has done, especially with this new deal with Fox. However, I feel like they were a bit myopic in some of their new fights, especially the decision to make some of them pay-per-view. I've talked about this in the past, man. Some of the, one of the dangerous things you can do as a promoter is rush a fighter to pay-per-view because once you go and you don't necessarily draw, you didn't, you may get a stigma of being someone who cannot draw. In my pound for pound list that I made a few months ago, I had Errol Spence and my, as my second best boxer in the sport. And I had Mikey Garcia as number four. Two of those four guys are fighting this upcoming March in a huge press conference as Fox rolled out their premier boxing champion coverage. The, the, the fight that a lot of people had been kind of hearing rumbles about. Will it happen? Won't it happen? It's signed, sealed, and solidified. Man, Mikey Garcia versus Errol Spence at 147 in Jerry World, Dallas, Texas, this upcoming March. But it's a pay-per-view fight. Man, when you see what Eddie Hearn is doing with the zone, when you when you see Errol and Mikey fight on a pay-per-view, 
I just feel like that's a missed opportunity. I really do. You may have heard of Errol Spence Jr. If you're not a if you're not a big fighting fan, you may have heard of his name. You may have seen some of his fights. Maybe. But he has kind of the mystique. Some of these shows, like the first takes or the undisputed, I'm not necessarily a consumer of those shows, but they are extremely popular. And you may hear Stephen A. Smith talk about Errol Spence. You definitely have heard Max Kellerman in the past talk about it. So there is a bit of interest or intrigue that he possesses, but he doesn't fight that much. No fault of his own. Errol, if you get him twice a year, you got to consider it lucky. You know, I think he fought twice in 2018. You just got to be like, hey, that's what we're going to get from him. Cool. It's no fault of his own. No one wants to fight him because he's that good. He has a certain, again, mystique that comes with him, which can be very good, very profitable, very marketable. But if you aren't a boxing fan, you're not going to spend $40, $50 to see him fight Mikey Garcia. You just won't. You've got two of the best fighters in the world. On Fox, a Fox broadcast, imagine, imagine if they took the long view. Imagine if they said, you know what, we have two of the best five fighters in the world fighting. But instead of forcing this as a pay-per-view fight, because they're not ready, they're not household names, they're not ready to, to, to pull a card, to deliver a certain amount of number, let's put them on Fox because, again, the quality is there. March isn't, obviously, you do the math. We're in the second half of the NFL season right now. You would have, what, five months to build this fight on Fox. Some of those months are during NFL broadcast Sundays. You could build this fight to the moon. We've got two of the best fighters in the world. Every Sunday, twice on Sunday sometimes, the, the audience sees it. In addition to having them on these shows and building this fight the way it should be built, then you give it to people for free. And at that moment, you show them we're so confident in our fighters' abilities to entertain you. These guys aren't Floyd Mayweather's. They don't fight like him. We, we, these guys put on shows. These guys are explosive. These guys throw haymakers. These guys are legit. You give the audience this. And it doesn't hurt Mikey because Mikey's not a natural welterweight. You know, he moves up. I think we all assume he's going to lose, not because Mikey's not good, but just because he's not a he's not big enough. And Earl is a big welterweight who's got knockout power. You put that to the people. Mikey doesn't get damaged by the loss if it's a loss, especially if he fights well. Earl continues to build the myth of who is Errol Spence, and why is it that no one wants to fight him? Mikey, if he loses, everyone tips their cap to him because he moved up two weight classes to fight the big bad monster at 147. And then, on top of all of that, you would have all of these eyes see your two crown jewels if you are Al Heyman. And then you have leverage. Then you have leverage with Bob Arum. Because... We are excited as boxing fans to see Mikey Garcia versus Errol Spence, but there wasn't a demand for this fight. Again, Mikey's not a welterweight. There was demand for Mikey to fight Vasily Lomachenko. There is an absolutely a demand to see Errol Spence fight Terrence Crawford. Those are four of the five best in this sport. 
And if you get the viewing public, if you whet their appetite enough by putting on a free showcase of two of the best between Spence and Mikey, and then flip that and say, yeah, y'all want a pay-per-view fight? Look at what we were able to do on Fox. Look at all these people who wanted to see our guys showcase their skills on Fox. Now, when you're at the negotiating tables with Bob Arum for these huge fights, these super fights between Spence and Terrence Crawford and Mikey and Vasala Lomachenko, you have leverage if you still want to do the pay-per-view model. But that goes full circle. I don't know if the pay-per-view model still exists in 2018. And I don't know, even if it does, I don't know how healthy it is moving forward. So the idea that pay-per-view is still the end-all be-all in boxing, that was the case in the 80s. That absolutely was the case in the 90s. And in the 2000s, it really hasn't lived up to the myth unless you are Floyd Mayweather or or Canelo Alvarez. Eddie Hearn saw that. Eddie Hearn peeped the game, and he flipped the game on its heels with the zone. I'll be interested in seeing how the future of boxing shakes out because if I was a betting man and if I had money to put behind one of the two, the pay-per-view model or the streaming model, I know exactly who I put my money on. And in fact, I wouldn't just put my money on Eddie Hearn. I'd go all in. Hopefully you guys have gone all in with me this week. I want to thank each and every one of you all for listening to the show. Thank you for rocking with the Quarterly Report Podcast, episode 81. I can't believe it's been 81 shows. Before we get out of here, I once again want to thank Perry Aston from the NBA Unwrapped Podcast. Again, make sure you guys head on over to iTunes, download, subscribe, and leave a review for my guy, Perry, and everybody over at the NBA Unwrapped Podcast. I want to thank each and every one of the listeners for listening to me for this hour. Plus, we'll be back here next week with another episode of the Quarterly Report.